So we're walking through the book of Jonah. If you're new uh, this week, we're going to spend some time walking through the book of Jonah. I promise it won't be a year and a half like we did with the book of John, but uh, we are going to spend some time. Uh, it's an exciting time to be at Livestream. I can't think of a better time to be inviting your friends and family to church because this series that we're doing, it's, it's for everyone. It's for all of us. Because when you're looking at the life of Jonah, you're really looking into our lives. Very messy, but yet God wants to shine his glory in us and through us in the midst of our messiness. And I got to tell you, it feels like as a church, we're really catching on to this idea. I was browsing Facebook. I was trying to push through all the political comments. And one of you, you wrote this perfect, glorious mess kind of statement. I want to share it with you. He, he wrote, I am someone who is not even close to being perfect and falls off the path a lot. But what a God we have. My God's not dead. He's surely alive. I am so thankful to have the opportunity to advance the kingdom of Jesus Christ. That is so good. Another one of you had the uh, Glorious Mess logo as your backdrop for Facebook. I just think that is really, really awesome. And um, I, I, I think for myself to know that I'm a part of a church that answers the call, that says yes to God, is something that I just really cherish, that I value. Not wait until you're perfect little angels, right, to do something for the Lord, but yet you're entrusting that there's a perfect God who is living in and through you. So pull out your outline. It's a front and backer today. Pull out your Bible if you have it. Open it up to the book of Jonah. Last week, you might remember that we did 10-second theater. It's the part of the service where we do theater in 10 seconds. Yeah, watch out. That might be coming back. Not today. We won't be doing 10-second theater today. It's the part of the service where we do theater in 10 seconds. But it might be coming back. But we are going to go through chapter 1 of Jonah. Chapter 1 of Jonah. All right, got to say before we start reading... This week really kind of was a mess for me. I was living this series really well. I, I kind of always feel like I'm one step away from having it just like I want it. And then when everything really starts rolling, it all falls apart. I, I found myself again in that place, just that place of total dependence upon God. And uh, can we just agree right now that there's never a season, never a level where we cannot live in total dependence upon God? Right? I mean, good, bad, happy, sad, pretty, or ugly, we all need Jesus. We need to be completely dependent upon Him. So this morning, uh, actually not this morning, but Monday morning, I woke up, and I, had, I, I felt like I had been hit by a truck. Everything that day felt like a huge deal. I was completely overwhelmed with everything that went on that day. And I'm, I'm telling you, I'm going to blame a lot of what happened on Monday based on Sunday morning. Because Sunday morning, I had a regular cup of coffee instead of decaf for the first time since December 31st, 2011. So like for 10 months, I, I forgot to ask for decaf when I was at the espresso stand. So I went from feeling like just really good, top of the world Sunday morning to really bad, shoot me now, Monday morning. It was really hard. And I, I want to I let you know I've pulled myself out from that chemically induced Eeyore day. But, but I'm telling you, it was messy. And then last night, I was pretending to be at Trampoline Nation with uh, Adam. And I was in his bedroom, and I tried to do a front flip onto Adam's bed. And this is what happened. All right, let me describe this picture. Uh, that's my left heel. That's my right heel. And this hole down here, that's my bottom. I made a hole in our wall with my bottom. So, <laughs> Can you imagine what it was like trying to explain that one to my wife? 
I love you. Thank you for uh, being so nice to me last night. That was a tough one, I know. But what, what a complete mess. Anybody else have a day like that before? Like a week, a month, a year? Maybe, maybe not that good, but I mean, that, that's pretty good. Three holes in one shot. Whew. <laughs> but here's the deal. God meets us right in the middle of our mess, doesn't he? Praise the Lord. He does. He meets us right in the middle of our mess. And like I said last week, no one is messier than Jonah. I also mentioned that last week that Jonah is this book that gets overlooked in church because as Christians, we're embarrassed because who really believes that a man could survive three days in the belly of a fish? I had a quick response to that, right? I said, if you believe that God can raise a man back to life from from dead, then you can believe that he can sustain a man's life in the belly of a fish. But the book of Jonah, it also gets put on the shelf because I think of how we've handled it in the past. When I think of the story of Jonah, I think about growing up. I think about Sunday school and how it was portrayed. And uh, this is what I remember. Let's go ahead and take a look. The story of Jonah. Long, long ago, there was a man named Jonah who lived a good life and always obeyed God's laws. He thought of himself as a true man of God. Jonah was a hard worker. Through his labors, he was able to buy chickens and a donkey and a goat. One day, God spoke to Jonah. Jonah. Huh? What? Jonah. What is that? Am I hearing things? Jonah, I am the Lord God. All right, no, that's enough. I mean, what is going on with that video? Really, like, God is just talking to the sun there. That's, that's really cool. Really cool. So that's what we learned growing up. And there's this disconnect, right? But there's so much that God wants to speak to us through this book. And if you want to finish that movie, it's on YouTube. So, anyways, in case you were wondering how it ends. <laughs> but did you know that Jonah is actually in the Bible? It's in the Bible, and he's given us his word for a reason. It's a word for today, for the here and now. God who spun the universe into existence. God who created light both as a wave and a particle, still something over my head. God who created pleasure. God who created love, who actually loves the most stubborn of human beings, including me and including you. This God has something to say to us through the book of Jonah. Now, as you begin to read this book, you you, you see that it starts with a call. That's what we looked at last Sunday. Right off the bat, God calls Jonah to Nineveh. And we talked about how God has a call on each and every one of us as well. The call was to go to Nineveh. To go to Nineveh. Now, most of us don't really, I think, have a grasp or an understanding of what or where Nineveh was. Nineveh is a city out on the Assyrian plain. Or it was a city. Tough and gritty. Modern day Iraq. It was just full of people, the kind of people that Jonah really did not want to know. I mean, these are the kind of people that didn't recycle. They smoked indoors. They wore baby seal fur. They, in fact, these are the kind of people that would leave the water running when you brush your teeth. No interest in going in that direction. Now, some of you might recall that Nineveh was also the capital of the Assyrian Empire. And the Assyrians, who were at the, at the time, at different times, responsible for oppressing Israel. So God's call to Jonah is to go to a place that really is not that good. It isn't doing well. The Bible told us it's a great city, but it also tells us that it's an evil city. But God wants to have a few words with him, doesn't he? And he wants to use Jonah. Now, when we read, we don't really get to see the circumstances 
that are going on in Jonah's life. We don't get to see what kind of messiness surrounded Jonah, whether he was drinking decaf or regular. But, you know, that's good. It's good. It doesn't give us any excuses for not identifying with Jonah. Because we love to use our excuses, our circumstances, issues, people, problems, you name it. We love to use excuses for not answering the call of God. The I'm just a student excuse, or the I'm just a stay-at-home parent, or I'm just a businessman. I'm just, I'm just, whatever. We base our ability to hear from God and to answer Him based on our circumstances. And so often this means we put it off. We put it off. We say, you know, I'll answer God's call when I get myself a little more put together. I'll answer God's call when things slow down a bit. You ever heard that excuse? Have you ever used that excuse? I know I have. And we put it off. But I want to tell you this morning, God's call, it comes right in the midst of our mess. You know it does. And it happened in Jonah's life as well. Last week, we also talked about how God's servants answer his call. That we are his servants and we respond in obedience. We talked about this preemptive posture where a servant decides ahead of time to say yes. Yes to his master. Where a servant is prepared and ready to say yes to whatever his master might be calling him to do. So let's take a look and see how Jonah, God's servant, is doing in the book of Jonah. But before we do, let's pray. Lord, we want to learn from you this morning. We know you're here. We we know that your presence is here. But we want you to speak to us, Lord, to stir us up for your kingdom and for your glory. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's pick it up. Uh, Verse 3. We read the first two verses last week. Boy, we made it. You probably thought it was going to be a two-year series when we only cover the first two verses on the first Sunday. But let's pick it up. Verse 3. Jonah ran away from the Lord, headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard, sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. God calls his servant Jonah, and his servant runs. In our lives, we push back, or we run from God, because we have our own agenda. And that's totally Jonah in this story. We don't have to conclude that he's running to Tarshish to do something evil, with evil intentions. You know, sell drugs, vandalize, you know, playgrounds, stuff like that. There's no reason for us to describe to Jonah that he's going there to do anything evil. I mean, he could have been going to Tarshish to do something really good, right? I'm going to Tarshish. I'm going to start a Bible study. I'm going to tell people about the love of God. No indication that he was going with evil intentions. But, you know, it doesn't matter where he was going to. It doesn't matter what he was going to do. What matters is that he's running from God's call. And real quick, when the Bible talks about sins and the sins that we're involved in, they they fit into two general categories there's the sin of commission or commission the the acts the deeds that we do we commit these wrongs it's the lie that you tell it's when you make a baby cry it's when you steal your kids halloween candy when they're sleeping you know you did it i i'm sorry trevin i know i'm sorry ava i mean you got it right i mean reese's buttercup sorry (laughs) these are the sins that we commit activities that we are engaged in the Bible also makes it clear there's another type of sin that we're involved in. The sins of omission, where we fail to do what is right. When we don't help someone in need. When we run away from that thing that God has been calling us to do. Did you know that's a sin as well? Look at me at James 4. Look with me at James 4.17. Anyone then who knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. Let's take a moment. Let's make it personal. Is there something in your life that God has been calling you to do? Is there someone that God has been calling you to reach out to? 
Is there a call, a word from the Lord that's been coming to you, prompting you, nudging you for you to do or say something in a certain way, but yet you are not? You know you're ignoring it. That's the sin of omission. Again, that's where we're going to find Jonah in this story. And, you know, we find ourselves, all of us, in this place from time to time. When we're not responding to the Lord's promptings and we're shooting the other way, running from God. And this is a problem. It's a major problem. A couple of examples where this happens. I want to talk about marriage for a second. Live long enough and you are going to run into somebody who's having marriage problems. Be married long enough and you will have marriage problems. You get two different people with two distinct personalities, hobbies, interests. You put them in the same house and say, hey, live in this house together for the rest of your life. And you are asking for a fight. And in our society, what's the answer to that? It's divorce. It's divorce. The lure is to escape the covenant. Escape the covenant and run. It happens all the time. You run for Joppa. You find the ship headed to Tarshish. And you're ready to board. As a pastor, I know a lot of other pastors. It can be a difficult call at times. And the temptation is always there to run. And as I talk to other pastors and I see their journey and I walk out my own, as, as things get tough in church, the temptation is to abandon your post and run. Stop caring about the kingdom and, and wherever God has called you to serve and you just fail. It's that shift to Tarshish. It looks kind of good. It looks like an Argosy dinner cruise. Get me on that ship. I am ready to board. I know several of you here at Life Spring, you are in recovery from drugs and alcohol. Many of you have been walking down this, sobri- this road of sobriety for a long time, and you are my heroes. But I know that temptation song that's playing in your head. And for some of you, it never stops playing. And it's telling you, abandon your sobriety, act out, compromise, jump on that ship to Tarshish. I don't know what your ship looks like in your world. Where you're tempted to run. Maybe you're an, an employee and you work full time or you're supposed to work time, full time. But you know that you're not working full time. Maybe you feel the call of God to spend more time with your spouse. Finding those moments, those times to connect with him or her. And yet you find yourself every night with that remote in your hand, flipping through the channels. And you know in your heart you're running. You're in the boat. As humans, we are tempted every day by different things. To run away from God. But come on. Let's get real for a second. How do you run from God? I mean, we're talking about God here. God who is omniscient, which means he's all-knowing. We don't have to inform him of our situation. God who is omnipotent, meaning he's all-powerful. Our problems never, ever stump him. God who is omnipresent, that means he is always present. He is never absent from our need. How do you run from a God like that? Not only did he make it all, he sees it all. He sees it all simultaneously. He sees all of history simultaneously. How could you ever run from a God like that? You can't. That's what scripture tells us. Psalm 139, follow along. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. You can't run from God. He's all over the place. And that's our first truth on your outline this morning. First truth, a glorious mess doesn't try to hide from God. You will find no success in that endeavor, my friend. If you've learned anything from Jonah, you cannot hide from God. 
Jonah 1, 4. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. Each cried out to his own God. Truth is, everyone has their own God or gods. In this story, they're pagan gods with names that we would be unfamiliar with. But we all have a God, especially in those moments of crisis. They're crying out to their God, save me, rescue me, bring me peace. Today in America, it might sound or look a little different than back in this boat, but the gods that we have in America sound something like this, maybe materialism or money, relationships, possessions. Some of us have the God of food or drink. Some of us have the God of politics. Some of us have the God of pleasure. Things that that are on their own or on their own aren't really that bad. But when they become your ultimate concern, when they become the thing that you run to in your time of distress, they become an idol in your life. So here they are, all these sailors, and they're praying to their own gods. But where's the prophet of God during all this? Let's take a look. Next verse. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship, but Jonah, but Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The prophet of God is sleeping. (laughs) Verse 6, the captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up. Call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. The captain of the boat, he wakes up Jonah and says, Please, please pray. The pagan captain tells the prophet of God to pray. And it just shows that God can use anybody, anywhere, Anyhow, to accomplish what God wants to accomplish here, he's using this captain. Verse 7, the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. And they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Kind of superstitious to me. I mean, casting lots, it's this ancient way of drawing straws or rolling the dice. They're trying to figure out who the guilty party is. And it happens to land on Jonah. And verse 8, so they asked him, tell us. Who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? And he answered, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. If you have a pen or pencil, underline Jonah's response. It represents a completely orthodox theology. He understands who he is and who he worships. He says, I am a Hebrew. And I worship God, God Almighty, who created all things, the land and the sea. I worship him. Amazing theology, terrible application. His lifestyle is completely contradictory to his theology. He's running from the God that he just so eloquently and wonderfully described. Sound familiar? Absolutely. This is the place that believers find themselves quite often, where our theology sounds really good, but our life isn't showing what our theology states. And it's easy to fall into this pattern, something you and I always need to guard against, something we talk about a lot at this church, that our beliefs and our actions would actually become aligned and be one and the same. All right, verse 10. Well, this terrified them, and they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. I love that comment, by the way. At least he's honest. Uh, Verse 11, the sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, what should we do to make the sea calm down for us? Or what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up, throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault and that this great storm has come upon you. Well, this is the first glimmer of hope in this quickly hopeless chapter. 
Jonah, he's admitting that he's responsible. And that's the next point on your, your outline. A glorious mess is responsible. Jonah says, hey, it's me. I'm, I'm running from God. It's me. When you and I get to this place in life, when we take responsibility, when we say, hey, I've messed up and we own up to our mistakes, we've taken a tremendous step forward in our spiritual journey. A very healthy step. It's true. A glorious mess is responsible. If you're struggling in this area, I just encourage you today, just own up to what you've done. Say, I'm sorry, Lord. I've made a mistake. I've messed up. A glorious mess is responsible. He says, it's me. I've screwed up. I've been running from God. Next verse. Instead, the men did their best to row back the land. I love that. They're just, instead, they're just going to row. And, but they couldn't because the sea grew even wilder than before. I love this verse. See, he tells them, you know, you guys just throw me into the sea. They don't listen. They start rowing. They're rowing against God. Do you see this? I mean, this is getting really good. Pass me the popcorn. Because, see, they have just commenced Operation Futile. Do you see that? This is a hopeless scenario. You cannot outrow God. This is a no-win situation. This is like Bambi versus Godzilla. This is like the Jets trying to beat the Seahawks. I'm not going to say this next one, but it's like the Cougs trying to beat the Huskies. But I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to say it. We're just going to move right on. See, the worst place you can find yourself, there are people running out the doors right now. The worst place you can find yourself is in a rowing competition with God, because God always wins. But that's exactly what they try to do. All right. So if we're looking at this story, by now we see that everything is falling apart. Do you see how chaotic this scene is? And I want to tell you, when you are not right with God, everything in your life will be affected. You will have storms in every direction that you turn. I shared last week that from an early age, I felt the call of God on my life. I told you that I, I felt like he'd give me a supernatural compassion for those around me that were sick and hurting and how I pursued being a doctor until I realized that God hadn't called me to minister to those who were physically sick but those who were spiritually unwell. But, you know, there was times in my life when I didn't want any of that, when I didn't want to listen to God. And when I look back at those times in my life, they didn't look like blatant rejections of God. In fact, I didn't even feel like I was running from the Lord. But that's exactly what it was. In the movies I chose to watch, in the words I chose to say, the girls I would choose to date, the way I'd treat people by making fun of them and being sarcastic with them, I was out of alignment with the call of God in my life. And when you're out of alignment with God, things get pretty difficult pretty fast. It can make you sick. When you're running from God, it becomes almost impossible to feel comfortable in your own skin. You are miserable. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. In fact, several of you have shared testimonies that include these seasons in your life where you knew you should be living one way, but you kept on living another way and it affected everything around you. When your vertical relationship is out of alignment, it affects all of your horizontal relationships. It's kind of like your spine. Spinal integrity, it's, it's so incredibly important. If you've ever had a bad back or a bad neck, you know what I'm talking about. When your spine is aligned, all of your horizontal movements, they are affected in a really good way, right? Your muscles are working well, systems are a go, your legs, your arms, all doing well. But you get a slipped and herniated disc, and all of a sudden, you're out of alignment. And if you leave it there, it's going to begin to affect your movements. It affects your ability to pick up your groceries or pick up your kids. 
Maybe you begin to get migraines. Maybe you start to lose feeling in your extremities. It all begins to deteriorate, to deteriorate when we do not have vertical alignment. <laughs> That's why I love my job. As a pastor at LifeSpring, I kind of get to play the role of spiritual chiropractor. See, you didn't know that, did you? Just get on the table. No, I won't do that. I'll get sued. <laughs> See, I get to help us get back into alignment with God. Because you and I know that our horizontal relationships, they are all affected in a positive way when we are aligned with God. I think we all understand that. But that's why I proclaim on a Sunday morning, wake up. God's got a plan for your life. Get in line with God. God loves you. Get right with the Lord. Get back into a place of obedience. Get back to a place of surrender. Get back to a place of alignment with God. And listen up. God, he doesn't want your destruction. He wants your attention. The things God has called you to are too big, too good to put on hold. So stop running from him. Stop running from him. Watch him do things of greatness that you and I could have never dreamed or imagined. But even if you fail from time to time in your response to God, I want you to notice something in this passage. It's pretty interesting to me. God is bigger. God is always bigger. Verse 14, Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you please. Then they took Jonah, they threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. See, Jonah, he failed in his mission, at least up to this point. And yet all of the sailors end up praising God. Now, we already know that they've been praying to other gods. And, and for some of them, this might just be one more attempt, right? You know, I'm going to try anything. I'll pray to any god just so that my life will be saved. But I would also say there, there's obviously something going on here that has some substance. See, they recognize that this God has power, that God Almighty has made himself known to these men. And it's amazing. You know, sometimes we feel like God can only use our successes. At least I feel that way sometimes. That God can only use the things that I do really well when I'm hitting it out of the park, so to speak. But you know, God's bigger. He's bigger than Jonah's failure. He's bigger than your failure. He can use your defeat. He can use anything for his kingdom to advance so that he can receive the glory. And, and for me, this is good news. This is good news. The fact that God can use anything in your life for his glory, I would pray that it would free you up to be able to relax in his grace. Relax in his presence and just be with him. Stop beating yourself up every time you feel like you failed. Get up. Move on. You're forgiven. You're free. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit, who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. So God is bigger than your failure. He's still God. He's still going to move in power. Do you believe that this morning? All right, God moves in power in this scene. And these guys, they see that, God, that Jonah's God. He is the one who created everything. The one who created the land and the seas, who created the wind. And they are in awe of God. Next point, a glorious mess is in awe of God. Aren't you in awe of God? Just worshiping this morning, I, I was overwhelmed as we sang the 10,000 reasons, bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Just overwhelmed with who he is. In awe of God, this all-knowing, all-powerful and present God. God who deeply and passionately loves us. Love not just being a characteristic of God, 
But being who he is, the very nature of God, God is love. And I, I want to ask you this. When was the last time that we were in awe of God? Or we just praised him, satisfied with him and his presence in our lives? I just asked this to a buddy of mine. I said, when was the last time you just sang and you worshipped him for no other reason than because you love him and you're satisfied being with him? He couldn't give me an answer. But a glorious mess is in awe of God. Not just because he calms that sea, but because of his great love for us. Oh, how he loves us. I heard from several of you this week about how God was speaking to you this week. I was actually really encouraged by some of your comments that last week's service really had an effect on you. And and you were ready to say yes to God, yes to his calling, yes to his promptings. And, And as we walk through this idea of running from God, I hope you understand that a glorious mess responds to God's call. We don't run from God. Instead of running, we act in obedience and we say yes to Him. But why is it so tempting to run? Why do we jet the other day or jet the other way when we begin to feel His leadings and His promptings? Looking at your own life, I'll ask you this question. Is it fear? Are you afraid? Maybe you're afraid of failure, that you will fail. That whatever God might be calling you to, you're going to blow it up. You're going to screw it up. Maybe it's self-doubt. I mean, you don't doubt God. I mean, God could do anything, but you doubt yourself. You know God could accomplish the most seemingly impossible things, but you also know yourself. You look at yourself in the mirror every day, and you're not too impressed with what you see. Maybe it's, you know, that God, He's really good at accomplishing a weekly task list. I mean, have you read the book of Genesis lately? Seen what He can do in a week. It's quite impressive. But you start thinking about yourself and you think, you know, I still got those rotting pumpkins sitting on the porch. I don't have to put up Christmas lights this year because they're still up from last year. No way, God. No way. Some of us immediately respond to the Holy Spirit by saying, God, you got the wrong guy. God, you've got the wrong gal. And if that's you this morning, I just want to refer you to some scripture. You remember Moses, right? Moses, he heard the call of God, and he spent some time telling God, hey, God, you've got the wrong guy. Or Gideon, Gideon hears the call of God, and what does Gideon do? He kind of said, hey, God, you've got the wrong guy. Maybe you remember Abraham and Sarah. Sarah, when the call comes, she laughs at God, and she says, you really got the wrong guy. He is old. (laughs) And you got the wrong gal. These Bible stories, they just make the point that God has has heard your excuses before, and he's not that impressed. So what is it keeping you from answering and saying yes to God's call? Maybe we're not afraid that what God's calling, or maybe we are afraid that what God's calling us into really isn't that great. I want to say that again. Maybe we're afraid that what God's calling us into really isn't that great. It sounds so unspiritual, but you know some of you feel that way. You know, maybe God's call would be less than what I'd want. That's where you find yourself. What's the real issue? The real issue for you is going to be trust. You don't trust God. And a lot of Christians struggle with trusting God. But God's call, it doesn't come to steal your life. Remember, there's only one who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's the devil. No, God's call comes in order to bring you life. God is not here to destroy your best. He might destroy your mediocrity. But what God is calling you into is exactly God's best for you. You have to trust that following Jesus is God's best for your life. That it will bring him the most glory 
and be the best for his advancement of his kingdom. That nothing would compare. You must believe that this is an incredible, mysterious win. That following Jesus is the touchdown in the game of life. But it takes trust. It's scary, but it takes trust. Proverbs 3, 5, 6. You've all heard this, but it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your path straight. So I don't know what you're afraid of this morning, what keeps you from answering the call of God on your life. But I know what the Lord says. He says, I did not give you a spirit of fear. I gave you my spirit, which is a spirit of power. How does Jesus respond to the issue of fear? Mark chapter 536. Jesus said to the synagogue official, do not be afraid any longer. Only believe. I declare that to you today. Do not be afraid any longer. Only believe. Do not be afraid of failure. Do not be afraid of God's call. Instead, believe that he will never leave you. Believe that he will never forsake you. Believe that his call is the very best thing for you, for his kingdom, and for his glory. Believe. Let Christ calm your fears. Believe. And the last point is a glorious mess delights in the love of God. Delights in God's love. <laughs> that might sound kind of unusual, uh, kind of an interesting point to draw out of this passage. I mean, what did we just talk about? This guy hears God's call and he runs from God. He faces a storm that is going to kill everyone unless he himself throws himself overboard. So he convinces pagan soldiers to heave him seaward so that he can end his own life in quiet desperation, knowing that he's failed to do the one thing that God has actually called him to do. <laughs> I fail to see the delight or love, you might be saying. You want delight? Here's the delight. For Jonah, he thought it was the end. But for God, it was just the beginning. Jonah, he was running from God. He gets tossed overboard. He is ending. But God was running faster than Jonah. He was pursuing. And he was beginning. It was true for Jonah. It's true for you. And it's true for me. God's love, it is amazing. When we think our life is over, God tells us that it has just begun. That has happened so many times in my life where I thought my life was over. And God said, no, it has just begun. And I'm so thankful for the love of God. In a group like this, we're probably just under 100 people. I bet you there's some of us in this room that are very unhappy. And we've been running from God. Maybe you've been running from God in the things that you've been doing, those sins of commission that we talked about. Decisions you're making in your lifestyle. Maybe choices you're making in terms of selfishness or in areas of pleasure or sexual immorality. Maybe your priorities are just completely out of whack. Maybe right now you're realizing, you know what? I've been running from God. And the things I'm choosing for me and the way I'm going and the way I'm stiff-arming God's call, I've been running from God. Maybe others of you, you aren't participating in a bunch of simple activities doing wrong left and right. But it's that sin of omission because you know the call of God in your life. You've been sensing where he's been leading you. You sense the risk that he's actually been calling you to take. And you know you're not doing it. Kind of like Jonah. Whatever your story, wherever you are on this spiritual journey, I want to assure you that no matter how far you run, how fast you run, and where that ship is headed, you need to know that God is running after you. He loves you. He loves you. Delight in his love.
Delight in His love. His love that is unconditional and unfailing and unending. It's a relentless love, a pursuing love. He loves you so much that He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to pursue you. Eons before you ever called out to Him, He was calling out to you. He is the one who took the initiative. He knew you'd try to run. He knew I'd try to run. So guess what? He came to find us. Jesus has come to find you and to forgive you, to bring you salvation. He's come to love you. Do you believe that this morning? So wherever you've been running out, however far you have gone, I want to encourage you, stop running today. Turn around, embrace the open arms of Jesus Christ. I've asked Ashes for Beauty to come back up, and they're, they're going to sing a song for us. And as they do, allow these words to penetrate your heart. Make them your own. I want to read just real quick a verse that they're going to sing in a little bit. Listen to these words. It says, All my life, I have been called unworthy, named by the voice of my shame and regret. But when I hear you whisper, child, lift up your head. I remember, oh God, you're not done with me yet. I don't know what you've been running away from. I don't know the reasons why you've been running away from the Lord. But it's time to stop. He's not done with you yet. He's not done with you yet. God's got a call on your life, and it's time to say yes. It's felt like there are those of us in this room that the reason we're running from God is we truly believe that what we have done in our past, what maybe we're even doing currently, is too often.
didn't come to this earth because he thought you were a goody two-shoes. I never did anything wrong. He came to this earth because you were a sinner and you needed him. the dead three days after he was crucified. Would you just raise your hand nice and high so I can see it? Amen. Anybody else? There's probably a couple more of you. Hopefully I've painted a picture of a really good God who really loves you. That this is the best decision you could ever make. Anybody else? Just raise your hand. there's others of you that you just know you've been running from God. And I didn't preach this message to guilt you or to shame you. If, if that's what you're feeling for me, then I just apologize. Because that is not the intent. But I want to let you know, to remind you, I really believe what your soul already knows. That God loves you. You know that. Because in the morning, at 2 in the morning, when you're crying out to the Lord, He responds. He speaks to you. You know that because when you're in a desperate situation where everything he gives you glimpses of who he is. He shows you that he's still faithful, that he's still with you. But today, let's not just know about God. Let's just not know about who he is. But let's know him. Let's be with him. Let's not just give the good talk. But let's walk tired, you're exhausted, you know you've been headed on ships, and those ships have been going all over the place, anywhere but God. If that's you this morning, could you raise your hand nice and high? Amen. Yes, yes, yes. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. Yes. You know, I want there to be freedom when you raise your hand. I just see, I just see the picture, the vision of when you raise your hand, just those chapters just come off. Those chains of guilt, they just fall off. And when you raise your hand, just the burden lifts and a freedom comes. The freedom that Christ died to give you. Did you know that he set you free so that you could be free? It sounds redundant, it sounds silly, but that's the case. He wants you to be free. It is for freedom that he sets you free. As you raise your hands, allow yourself to just enjoy his freedom. Enjoy his freedom.